And good morning, Reach Church. It's great to come into your home this morning or wherever you're watching or whenever you're watching. My name is Chuck Betters. I'm the senior pastor here at Reach Church. And as was announced earlier, we're really excited to have in-person worship tonight. It's going to be beautiful outside. We're going to have baptisms and it's going to happen also communion. And we're going to ha- it's going to happen tonight at six o'clock right here at Reach Church, right behind the church. We have beautiful property. And last week, we just had a great time. We set up a stage, had some singing, had some fellowship. And so it's going to be another great time. So I hope that you will be out tonight at 6 o'clock. And if you are watching, uh, there's three different ways for you to watch us this morning on Facebook, on YouTube, and also at our website. So we have three different ways for you to watch. We know that different people select different ways. So if you're having trouble with one of the feeds, which I doubt you're having because our tech crew does does such a great job and we've just had a wonderful time um, for these many weeks and we're going to be continuing to do this online format. So uh, make sure you are checking us out. Share the feed right now if you haven't already. Um, This is a great time to be sharing our faith and to, like we said last week, working out our salvation. So coming out of us. So we are in a sermon series that I've entitled A New Level of Good. And in this series, we've explored Paul's letter to the Philippians where he's addressing a really good church. So the Philippian church was a good church, and Paul writes a letter to them and encourages them on what a new level of good would look like, because they were already a great church. And so it makes me think of Reach Church. It's already a great church with a long history, um, a lot of good things happening even during COVID-19. But yet we are striving towards a new level of good. And we see what that looks like in this letter to the Philippians. So today, I believe we are coming to what is the central theme of this letter to the Philippians. So in chapter two, verse 14, I'm gonna be reading between verse 14 and 18. Paul says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so prone to not only wander, but we are prone to grumble. We are prone to disputing. We are prone to buying in to what Paul calls a crooked and twisted generation and just being exactly like everything else that we see in this dark world. Lord, I pray that you would transform our hearts this morning, that you would change our hearts from the inside out so that we could work out our salvation in very specific ways, that we would be adding something to this very dark generation that we are a part of, that we would add hope and encouragement 
and that we would add mostly Jesus and nothing but Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen. So we saw last Sunday that when Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's not saying work for your salvation, but work out your salvation. So in other words, he's saying that we have these precious gifts inside of us due to our salvation. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit of Christ living inside of us. We have what Peter calls this divine nature inside of us. We have the kingdom of God inside of us. And so Paul's encouragement is for that to be worked out outside of us to other people and that we would work out our salvation with that kind of fear, with respect, with reverence, and with trembling, that we would take our salvation seriously, that it wouldn't be just something that's just inside of us, but it would be worked out through us to other people. And so that's, that's the main message of what Paul is saying uh, what we saw last week, to work it out in our daily lives. That it shouldn't stay inside of us, but it should make its way out of us. And there's really no connecting word, there's no connecting word between those verses, 12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling in the passage we just read from verse 14. He goes right into without a therefore or because or anything. And what this tells us is that the immediate context of working out your salvation with fear and trembling is right into verse 14 where he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. In other words, Paul is saying the best way to work out your salvation for it to come out of you, for it to be shared with others is to do all things without grumbling or disputing. This seems like a very simple command and it is, but it's also very deep. Paul says the key to working out your salvation Salvation is to do all things without grumbling, without murmuring. I mean, the Greek word for this is, is to murmur. It's, it's this idea of a behind the scenes kind of whispering, talking, murmuring, grumbling, under your breath, whatever it may be. It's an out loud kind of complaining. And it's an external thing. But the second word is even more interesting. Do all things without grumbling, that's external, or disputing. That seems like an interesting, strange word to use. You know, don't dispute. Dispute. I mean, what is, he, what is he driving at here? The word for disputing literally means thoughts. So do all things without grumbling or thoughts. That doesn't make any sense. Don't even think. And so the context of the word is, is evil thoughts or quarreling you might see in some of your versions of the Bible. But this, this idea of disputing, of questioning, it's an internal thing. It's the, the, the disputing, the quarreling, the thoughts, the grumbling, the murmuring that happens between the ears before it's verbalized out loud without grumbling or disputing. It means this is what happens before you verbalize the grumbling. And so no matter what, Paul's saying there's an external co component to this, to grumbling, and there's an internal component to grumbling. And he's saying that we need to do all things without 
either of those kinds of grumbling, and man, is that hard, isn't it? That it doesn't even enter your heart to grumble, complain, murmur, etc. In other words, we may never verbalize our complaints. We may never verbalize our grumbling, our murmuring, whatever it may be, but it's still inside of our hearts. And Paul says that needs to go as well. I mean, where did we ever get the idea that if something comes into our hearts, into our minds, and yet we don't verbalize it, we didn't say it. So in other words, you have a dispute in your heart with your spouse and you get really upset and really angry, but you didn't say anything to them. Somehow that's okay. I mean, where do we get that idea when you read the scriptures that that's okay? I mean, it's better not to verbalize it, but you know, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, he was all about what's inside your heart. Constantly, he would, he would encounter people like the Pharisees who wouldn't say anything, they wouldn't say it out loud, but Jesus would notice the evil of their hearts. He could see it on their faces. He could see inside their hearts. You're looking into my heart. I mean, isn't that profound? that the way we respond to things, not only what we say or what we do in response, but Paul here is, he's attacking what we think, what goes on between our two ears, that that can govern the whole response and the whole course of our lives. Second Corinthians 10, five, Paul says this, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and watch this and take every thought captive to obey Christ. In other words, someone does something to offend you. Someone does something that upsets you. Someone criticizes you. Someone doesn't like you, whatever it may be or you're trying to understand someone or their motives or you're, you're questioning things like that, Paul says take those thoughts and put them in prison somewhere, lock it, and then leave it there to rot. Take every thought captive. Remember that the next time you see something on social media that you don't like. Take that thing that that person wrote about you or maybe it's about you, maybe it's vague, whatever it may be. You take that and you, you throw it in prison you lock the door and you walk away. That's what you do. And you go outside and enjoy the sun. All right, that's what he's saying here is take it captive. Not the thought of retaliation, of needing to respond, of needing to set the record straight. Take it over here and put it in prison. Take every thought captive. So Paul continues, um, when you think about this, that it's really less about what we say or do, but it's really about what's in our hearts and what we're thinking in our hearts. Could this be what Paul was talking about earlier when he said, have this mind among you, the mind of Christ among you, the thoughts of Christ among you. Philippians 2, verse 1, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So in other words, if you have all of these gifts that we talked about earlier inside of you because of Jesus, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, being of the same mind of Jesus, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So I think we're coming here to the main message of the letter of Philippians. 
If you were to summarize this letter in one word, how would you summarize it? I would summarize it with the word rejoice. And rejoice is the opposite of murmuring, complaining, thoughts, quarreling, whatever it may be. It's the opposite. Paul says rejoice even in hardships. That is so difficult, isn't it? Paul says this to the Philippian church, a church that was killing it in a good way. He says, if you want to make my joy in you complete, then do this. Do all things without murmuring, without disputing, without quarreling, without complaining. Rejoice in all things. Do the opposite of all of that nonsense. If you want to make my joy complete, he says this to a great church. If you want to take it all the way, if you want to go to the next level of good, Paul says, here's what it looks like. Look at what Paul says in the opening chapter of the letter. In verse 12 of chapter one, he says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, he's in prison, has really served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. There's no disputing, no quarreling, no complaining there. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And then he says, what then? I love that. What then? All these people are after me. They're criticizing me. Here I'm in prison. They're even preaching Jesus out of, you know, a rivalry or competition. He's like, what then? You know, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And then watch what he says. In that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. In other words, regardless of what's happening, whether I'm in prison, whether people are being kind to me or not, whether people are, you know, thinking bad things about me or not, I will rejoice. Why? Because of Jesus. That's why. Because of nothing but Jesus. Paul says the main reason he can rejoice is because Jesus is proclaimed. He can even rejoice in prison. He can rejoice in prison even when there's people working against him. Why? Because of Jesus. Paul says later, it doesn't even matter what the situation is, whether he's in prison or whether he's free. Many times it's easy for, it could be easier for us to rejoice when we're in prison, when we really have some hard times on us. It may be even more difficult for us to rejoice and be content when we have a lot. Paul says he's able to rejoice in both situations. Verse 10, chapter four. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have re revived your concern for me. You indeed were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in, I have learned to be content. Contentment, another opposite of grumbling and disputing. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, there it is again, in all things, 
no complaining or grumbling. He says it again here, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Rejoicing in troubles, rejoicing in suffering, rejoicing in criticism. That's the central message here in this letter to the Philippians is to rejoice in all things, do all things without complaining, grumbling, murmuring, or even thinking about it. I just wanna get to the point where the thoughts don't even enter into my heart, that my first response to those kinds of things isn't for it to even enter my heart, but my first response is like Paul to rejoice. Man, would that be freeing. Wouldn't that be freeing to be like that? And that's available to us as believers. That is what a new level of good looks like for Reach Church. First, why is doing all things without grumbling or disputing, you know, why is that a new level of good? Why is that so good? Paul tells us why it's important. Back to verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now he's gonna tell us why it's important. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in, in vain or labor in vain. Those are huge words. Paul connects being blameless and innocent and without blemish to doing all things without grumbling or disputing. What does he mean when he says blameless? I mean, we talk about being, uh, that we're the chief of sinners, that if you're not the worst sinner that you know, you don't know yourself very well. I mean, how does that square with Paul saying he wants us to be blameless and innocent? Because we know that Paul can't mean perfect by that. Because he says elsewhere in chapter three, verse 12, not, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. He says it right there. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ has held fast to me. Brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he's not using this term blameless, spotless, innocent. He's not using it to say that we are somehow without sin and perfect. But what sense is he using this? Why does he say, this is so important, because this is why it's important. Why does he say that if we do all things without grumbling and complaining and murmuring and, and those kinds of things without it even entering our hearts, without even the evil thoughts or whatever thoughts entering our mind and our thoughts, why does he connect that to being blameless, innocent in the way that Paul means that word to mean? Why would he say that? I think we need to go to James to find out. In James chapter three, verse one, James says this, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. Here's the, here's the part. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, here we go, he is a perfect man. 
able also to bridle his whole body. I mean, what is James saying here? He's saying that the tongue is the most difficult organ of the body to control. It's the most difficult organ of the body to tame, to keep in check. He says the person who can do it is a perfect person. In other words, in the same sense, not without sin, but in the sense of as, as perfect, blameless, spotless as a sinner can be. It's the same sense as before in Philippians. He's saying that the tongue, listen, the tongue complaining, murmuring, whatever it may be, is the last sin to go. That's what he's saying. In other words, taming your tongue Doing all things without complaining, murmuring, and without them even entering into your mind, without even disputing that kind of thing, that is more difficult than ending the practice of committing adultery. That's more difficult. It's more difficult to tame your tongue than it is to stop killing people. It's more difficult to tame your tongue than to stop stealing. In other words, it's the last thing to go. Paul says, complete my joy. Complete my joy in the Philippian church and all the great things the Philippian church was doing. Complete my joy by being of the same mind as Christ. And then he says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. That's the last thing to go. But it's the most difficult thing to conquer. Taming your tongue, both externally and internally, because our, our thoughts are words before God. Even our thoughts inside, those, those are words before God. He sees all. And many times, even when we don't verbalize things, everyone knows what we're thinking anyway. Everyone knows maybe by our silence or our body language or whatever it may be. So even if it's inside, it doesn't really matter. And so James is saying the man who does conquer this is a perfect man because he's come to the, the most difficult sin for all of us to conquer. Paul's writing to the Philippians, a church that was, like I said, killing it. And he says, complete my joy. If you want to finish the job, then this is what you need to do. Back to Philippians. Do all things, verse 14, without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now look at this next phrase among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's why. That's why. To be blameless, to, to conquer that last most difficult sin, the final sin that is the most difficult for all of us, to do all things without complaining or disputing, but also so that we will shine like lights in a crooked and twisted generation. Paul's saying, so that you'll be different. So that you'll be countercultural. I mean, isn't that what we, what we need right now with everything going on in the world? So you won't be like everyone else. You would have conquered the most difficult of all sins and challenges so that you will be shining as lights 
in the world. It says this it idea of a, of a dark sky at night. Everything's dark. And then there's, there's these bright stars. And those stars are shining in the sky amongst the darkness. And that's us. That should be us. He says, you'll be so different, so blameless, so innocent that you'll shine as lights in the world. That's a new level of good for Reach Church. To shine like stars in this crooked and twisted and dark generation. Many times we'll say, well, we're gonna shine like stars by serving people, by you know, missions or whatever, or mercy. And that's true. But Paul says here, do you really wanna shine like stars? Then stop complaining, stop murmuring, stop disputing, stop always debating everything and the inner lawyer springing up every time something happens to you. He says, if you really want to take every thought captive, you know, that's the perfect stuff. That's the blameless stuff. If you really want to take it to a new level of good, that's really where you need to go. So you need to go in between the ears because that always is in the heart, comes out of the mouth. Well, there's something else that happens here because Paul says that this kind of rejoicing, this kind of lifestyle, this kind of countercultural thing where we're not going on social media and venting, you know, where we're not going and trying to send a message to everybody, but instead that we are a, a person who rejoices that that will be a sign. He says that that's a sign. Remember the star in the sky that the wise men followed? That was a sign for them that Jesus had been born. That's the idea here. In Philippians 1 verse 27, Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, there it is again, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So you're not focused on your opponents. You're not frightened by them. You're not looking to the left or the right because of your opponents. You are of one mind. You're too busy spreading the message of Jesus. Now here's the, here's the verse. This is a clear sign to them. Who's them? To your opponents of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Here you are shining brightly. Why? Because you're not grumbling. The grumbling doesn't even enter your mind or your heart. And as a result, you will become a star shining in a dark world, in a dark sky. And that star shining will be a sign back to your opponents and those against you and those criticizing you and those who don't like you, those who are jealous of you, whatever it may be, you're gonna be a sign by what? By going after them and retaliating. No, by shining in a dark world. By not grumbling, by not doing what they're doing, by not complaining, by not murmuring, by it not even entering your heart, by it not even getting to you. That will make you a sign. You're a sign to them of their own destruction. When I, th when I hear this, what Paul's saying about shining brightly as a star, I think of Matthew 5, where Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are you when others revile you. I mean, think about it. Blessed are you when they revile you, when they persecute you, when they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Look at what he says. Rejoice and be glad, 
for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Then he says, you're the salt of the earth. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Then he says, you are the light of the world. There's the parallel. And the parallel of rejoicing, even in suffering and persecuting, in reviling. And in Peter, we see that Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile back against others. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You're the light of the world, Jesus says. Paul says, you want to be shining as stars in a crooked and twisted generation. How? By rejoicing. As Jesus had said, even when you're persecuted, even when people are uttering all kinds of false things against you, even when you're being reviled against, that's when the true test is. Are you going to complain? Are you going to murmur? Are the evil thoughts going to come into your mind? Thoughts of retaliation, whatever it may be. When others revile you, persecute you, call you names, what does he say to do? He says this, he says, open hands. Remember that? We talked about that earlier. We can approach life like this or like this. It says open hands, releasing it, rejoicing. That's the theme of Philippians. And he says that if you do this, if you, if you have this lifestyle of doing all things without grumbling, complaining, murmuring, disputing, thoughts, etc., that you'll be lights in the world, that you'll be noticed And then he says, Jesus says in Matthew chapter five that you are the light of the world that they're gonna notice your good works and praise your father who's in heaven. You put those two passages together for some context here because, you know, there's all kinds of people who aren't Christians who do good works, right? And those good works don't lead lead to praising God, our father in heaven. It could lead to praising them or praising an organization or whatever. But Jesus says that, Because of these kinds of good works, people will look at you and they will praise God in heaven. Why? Because the kind of good works we're talking about here, that Paul's talking about here, are difficult and it's countercultural to be persecuted, reviled, to be opposed, to be criticized, and to not revile back and to rejoice instead. People look at that and they say, wow. Now I want that. I want that kind of freedom. And what do they do as a result? They say, well, what's, what's the reason for this madness in this person? Well, because of they're a Christian and they trust their father who's in heaven. And then what do they do? They say, wow, I want to maybe praise that father in heaven as well. I want what they have because they're different from everybody else I see at work, my development, social media, etc." That's a new level of good for Reach Church, for us. How do we do all things without grumbling or complaining? Um, Chapter three, verse eight, Paul says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, 
that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul says that knowing Jesus, just that, nothing but Jesus, just that is far more worthy, there's far more worth in that than anything else. So I don't need to grumble or dispute because I have Jesus, that's how. That's the main reason. But again, how do I do all things without grumbling or disputing? Um, Again, it starts with your thoughts. It starts between the ears, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, if there's anything that's excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, here it is, think about these things. It starts in your mind. It starts with your thoughts. Because where does grumbling and disputing and quarreling start? It starts in your heart, in your mind. And Paul says, think about the true things. Think about the commendable things. Thoughts about the first thing he says, and we've talked about this the past couple of weeks, is focus on what's true. Okay, now that sounds easy to do until you apply it to dif- different various situations. We're going to see that in a minute. Put that passage together with our text. Again, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, etc. And then he gets down there to, that, to the next verse um, where he says, holding fast, holding fast to the word of life. So in other words, how does it happen? It happens because of Jesus. We saw that in Philippians 3. But here in the text, we say the way it'll happen is by holding fast to your politics, right? That's how it will happen. Hold fast to your worldview. It doesn't say that. It says, hold fast to anything but Jesus, to a vague idea of the man upstairs. It doesn't say that either. Hold fast to the word of life. That's how you do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's how you, you move towards innocence. You move towards someone who can be seen as being different, shining in the sky, in the dark sky. Holding fast to the scriptures, holding fast to the truth, whatever is true. Put that together, Philippians 4, 8, with Philippians 2, 16, 15 and 16. Whatever is true, holding fast to the word of life, fuse those together in your life, holding fast to what is true. Not holding fast to your own experiences, no. That's not how you live a life without grumbling and complaining and murmuring and entering your heart and disputing and always trouble, 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 you know, violence, trouble, whatever it might be in your heart. That's not how it happens. It's not by saying I'm just going to focus on my own experiences. No. It doesn't, it's not about holding fast to your own political ideology. That's a sure recipe. That's a sure recipe for all kinds of turbulence in your heart. It's not about holding fast even to your own family. It's not about holding fast to your skin color. It's not about holding fast to your own biases. These are great recipes for not only grumbling and disputing, 
but in blending in with everybody else. Because everyone else is holding fast to one of those things. Well, I'm just, I'm just focused on my own experience. I'm gonna apply my own experience instead of focusing on what is true. It's just gonna be my experience and that's how I'm gonna see the world. Everyone's doing that right now. Everyone's doing that right now. You won't be a sign of anything. We talked about being a sign. You won't be a bright light in the sky at all if you're just holding fast to your political ideology. It aligns with Sean Hannity, so that's what I'm gonna, that's what I'm gonna say. It aligns with MSNBC, so that's what I'm gonna do. It aligns with Donald Trump, so I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna spew that out. It aligns with Joe Biden, whatever, so I'm gonna do that. No one wants any of that. You're, you're holding fast to something that's not true. It says hold fast to the word of life. Hold fast to Jesus, not your own experiences. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I mean, what I've gone through, what I've seen, I don't wanna hear it. Hold fast to the word of life. That's what I want to hear. You cycle those experiences and you take those and you put the word of life in front of those and then you interpret your experiences through the word of life, not the other way around. That's how you'll be a star. The way to do things, all things without grumbling and complaining is to replace all of all of it, all of it by thinking about what is true. You know, we've talked about this over the past couple of weeks. Do you really hold fast to what is true, especially right now? We live in a twisted, crooked, dark generation. That's what Paul even says it's so true about right now. There's so many untrue things being said. What about you? Do you trust your own opinion, your own experiences, your own biases, your own political ideology, whatever it may be, or do you base your agenda on the truth. You know, with the big cultural issues going on right now, listen, we've got COVID-19, we've got racism, we've got police brutality, we have those who love the police, we have all of this stuff, the big three. Sadly, I can usually predict what a person is not only going to say about these issues, but what a person is likely thinking about these issues, and it has nothing to do with truth. Let me explain. You have a, and I'm gonna to get to everybody, so don't get offended until you hear the whole thing, right? Let me just make a remark about that. It's good to be, it's good to be stirred. It's good to be challenged. Many times people say, I love it when the pastor steps on my toes. No, you don't. You love it when the pastor steps on everyone else's toes. You know, I'm gonna step on your toes right now. That's how you grow. That's how you're challenged. That's how you, you, know, you develop as a person. You do the same thing with your children. I'm gonna do the same thing now. I'm speaking to myself as, as well. I mean, you, listen, you have a, a red-blooded, you know, all-American, gun-toting, Hannity-watching, white conservative American. Gee, I wonder where they're gonna fall on all of these issues that I just cited. I mean, I wonder. I can write it out before you can write it out. I can write out what you're gonna say before you're gonna say it. You can maybe do it from a facial expression, and I'm not exaggerating. Or you're a person of color, and you've experienced police brutality, or you have friends who have. I mean, what is that person's opinion going to be on the current state of things? Wow, I wonder what that person's opinion's going to be. 
Or you have a person who has a police officer as a family member, an uncle, a cousin, a brother, a father, whatever. I mean, now I'm really stepping on toes. I can't believe how sensitive this issue has become. I mean, what is their opinion going to be on the current state of things? Gee, I wonder. I mean, hold the phone, wait a minute. Gotta make sure. So for all of these people, all of these different backgrounds, experiences, family, political ideology, if it's all based on that, it's so predictable where you're going to land. And listen, as Christians, that shouldn't be the case. I'm sorry, but it shouldn't. I'm sorry if it's offensive, but Paul says it right here. Or let me hit someone else. You have someone who is a big Donald Trump conservative, you know, faith and family and religious freedom and all of that. Listen, you know, there's talk that we may become a country that has the most religious freedom in history of any country ever and be the least practicing religious country. So we've all the freedom, but we don't even practice it. I mean, what will their opinion be on COVID-19 and the closures and, and all of this stuff and the restrictions the governors are putting on? I mean, gee, it's so hard to figure that one out. That shouldn't be the case either because we don't hold fast to those kinds of things. We don't cycle our opinions and our words and even our thoughts through those grids as precious as they may be to us but we cycle all of that through the word of life. Hold fast to the word of life. He didn't say hold fast to your politics. He didn't say hold fast to your family. He didn't say hold fast to your experiences. He didn't say hold fast to your emotions. He didn't say hold fast to you know, the way I've been taught or the way I've experienced things or what your worldview is. He says hold fast to the word of life. And Paul says, whatever is true, honorable, excellent, think about these things. Do all things without complaining, without grumbling, without disputing, without even entering your heart. Then you will shine like stars. Then you'll have something that people may want to hear. And I want you to listen. Listen to this closely. Think about how powerful it would be if you are a person who is a person of color perhaps, and you have been racially profiled, or maybe you know someone who's been racially profiled, and then the whole world blows up over this issue of police brutality, racial profiling, etc. So you are that person who's had those experiences and it's close to your heart, and yet you're the person who comes out and says, I'm gonna focus on what is true and honorable, I'm going to focus on Jesus first. I'm going to set the other things aside and I'm going to focus on Jesus first and filtering it all through the lens of nothing but Jesus. And so what that may look like is for you to say something like this. You know what? I really want to work to end injustice. I really want to end police brutality against people of color. But yet I want to say how incredibly thankful and grateful I am for the men and women who put on a police uniform and risk their lives every single day. Yeah, period. Well, you know, no, because that's the truth. There are people every day who put it on the line. To paint with a broad brush, you can't do that with, with any profession. 
And so imagine how powerful that would be for you to say something like that. People will be listening to you. They'll be listening to that and you'll shine like a star. Or think about how powerful it would be for the gun-toting, conservative, evangelical pro-lifer who has a cousin who's a police officer. How powerful would it be for you who has a brother who's a police officer who may have even died in the line of duty? Hmm? So all of that, you have all of that. And you, 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 you hear all of the stories of what police officers have to deal with. You see firsthand how much they've sacrificed. But even with all of that, and people know all of that about you, how powerful would it be for you to come out and say, even with all of this here, even as I honor my brother who may have died or my cousin who's an officer or my father or even my own occupation, how powerful is it for you to come out and say that we're not all like that, they're not all like that, but the brutality must end, period. There was a guy at Troop 2, a police officer. There was a protest there. And what did he do? He knelt with everyone for eight and a half minutes to honor George Floyd. I mean, say that's, that's wonderful. I mean, people were watching at that point. He has something to say at that point. He's got credibility and he can speak the truth at that point. This is what it means to be a Christian, by the way. This is what it means to rejoice in persecuting. I mean, even if everything I've just said is wrong, even if you are fully right and you are persecuted and everyone else is wrong, Jesus still said to rejoice in that. Still, we're not let off the hook. That's why Jesus said it's a narrow path, exceedingly narrow. Nothing but Jesus isn't, anything goes. It's actually extremely narrow. Another example of a staunch conservative says, you know what, I love my freedoms, I love my religious freedom, but I'm willing to sacrifice a bit so that others can be safe. And you know what, instead of criticizing and jumping to conclusions and focusing on this conspiracy and that conspiracy, I'm gonna follow Romans 13, where Paul says to pray for our governors and authorities, whether you like them or not, because God has ordained them and installed them. So I'm gonna be faithful to that. And I'm gonna pray at this point. That would be stunning for some to stand up and do that. And oh, so powerful. Oh, so powerful for you to do that. You'll be like a star shining in a dark sky. And we would elevate the discourse a little bit in our country. That's the kind of thinking, that's the kind of new level of good we need at Reach Church. How do we do all things without grumbling or disputing so we can be blameless and shine like stars and be a sign even to those oppose us? He says, hold fast to the word of life. I don't know about you, but even as I'm preaching this, I'm thinking about various areas in my life and how impossible this is, how idealistic this all sounds. I mean, it just sounds so impossible. How do I hold fast to the word of God? There was a pianist named Robert Harkness and he was doing different crusades and evangelistic crusades in the early 1900s. And there was a time that a young man approached him after one of the crusades and he was struggling with assurance of salvation. And he asked him, you know, how can I possibly hold fast to Christ until the end? 
And the result was that Harkness partnered with another and he wrote the tune to the hymn, Christ Will Hold Me Fast. Because it isn't us holding fast to Jesus, but Christ holding fast to us. That's how. In Jude 24, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, so it's him keeping us from stumbling, to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. He holds us fast with great joy. Philippians 3.12 says, I take hold, I hold fast to what Christ has held fast for me. So Christ holds it fast for us and then we hold it fast because he's holding it fast for us. He who began a good work in you, Philippians 1.6, he's faithful to complete it. He is holding you fast. He's holding us fast and reminding us of the forgiveness and the victory that we have over sin. He's holding us fast when he prays for us, where answered prayer happens. He's holding us fast when he gives us this gift of the Holy Spirit of himself, of Christ, dwelling inside of us, being ready to be worked out in our lives. He's holding us fast when he gives us security of our souls so that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing, not ourselves, not our own biases, not our own fallenness, not our own grumbling, not our own complaining, that he is holding us fast. And because he's holding us fast, that we can have that security of our souls. He's holding us fast because he's promised a future resurrection from the dead. Paul said that since Jesus has risen, we too will rise. He's holding us fast so that we can say, as John said, that we can have confidence in the day of judgment when we stand before God because we can point to the one who has held us fast, to Jesus, and say, judge me based on his righteousness, not my own. He's holding us fast He's preparing a place for us. I'd say that's holding us fast. In heaven, our eternal home, Revelation says that he, is, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That is why Reed's Church can collectively be people who do all things without grumbling, without complaining, without murmuring, without it even entering our hearts. And that is when we'll be able to set aside biases, our own experiences, everything that is not of Jesus. We can set that aside and we can replace it with nothing but Jesus and see all of that through that lens and filter all of it through that lens. And that will lead to us shining brightly in a dark, crooked, twisted generation. Don't you want that? Don't you want that for yourself, for your children, and for our church? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take my words and that you would implant them into the hearts of the people who are watching and listening whenever it is they're watching and listening. I pray that whatever I have said that is true and honorable and excellent, 
and commendable and whatever is of Jesus that we would think on those things. And whatever I've said that is not, that those things would be discarded. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts with these difficult truths from the inside out so that we could work out our salvation with fear and trembling, with respect and reverence and honor so that we would shine in the sky as stars, yes, even be assigned to our opponents by that star brightly shining, that we are trusting in you and that our total happiness, our joy, our ability to rejoice is because of nothing but Jesus. Lord, hold us fast. We need you. Things I've shared are not possible, but with God, all things are possible. We want to hold fast to you because you have held fast to us. Bring us to that new level of good here at Reach Church. Christ, hold us fast.